0: I'm happiest in the saddle, <laughs> a fellow
1: sportsman. I am an FBI agent. stuff. What do you say we cut the chit-chat, a-hole? Dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria.
0: Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome to Retro Ramble. I'm Charlie McGee.
1: I'm George McGee.
0: And this year, ladies and gentlemen, we are time traveling back to the year 2000 to review sir ridley scott's epic swords and sandals classic that is gladiator
1: dun, 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 dun. sorry i'm gonna do that a lot throughout this episode you
0: can i mean i'm gonna to have to drop a bit of pan zimmer he keeps on popping up on this podcast but uh is it fair to say i always say this was well at least for me this was the film i discovered not only russell Crow, uh, and Joachim Phoenix, but also Hans Zimmer. But we're going to get probably get into that. Anybody who... Uh, we are delving into the 2000s, something we've not done on this podcast because George and I focused on 80s and 90s films. But come on, guys, we're moving... It's
1: 2022
0: uh, at the time of recording. We're moving into another... We're in another decade now. It's fair enough to go back to this era, isn't it, George? And what a film.
1: Yeah, obviously, the whole purpose of this podcast, if you hadn't listened before, is... Charlie and I are brothers and we cover the films that we grew up with we're both children growing up in the 80s and 90s and that's why our lion's share of the films we covered are in, in those decades however we continue to age it's, it's an unfortunate side effect of life and we continue to grow up though some say we haven't speak ever, for yourself yeah, buddy. <laughs> probably grown up So. As you say, Charlie, it's twenty twenty-two years ago. Why didn't we do it in tw- 2020? Who knows? We had a bigger fish to fry. But I think it's safe to say this is our first Swords and Sandals movie. Um, there's not that many of them. But yeah, I think it was just something that is a film close to our hearts. And I hadn't watched it for a few years. Uh, had you?
0: Me neither, but I was reminded how many times I have watched this. So what can listeners look forward to in this episode, George? I think there's going to be a bit of production chat. Would that be fair?
1: There's quite a lot of behind-the-scenes trivia on this. It wasn't a smooth sailing production and they make for the best stories. So yeah, there'll be some production chat obviously we'll talk a little bit about casting we'll have the usual feature of actors that may have been considered in coulda woulda shoulda and i'm sure as usual you and i will go sort of through the sort of highlights and maybe lowlights of the movie
0: There's not a lot to take the piss out of. I'm sure George and I will try and find stuff too, but this is an epic modern day classic. Uh, A film that's very close to our hearts in that, uh, and I think we're probably gonna talk about this in this episode, in that George and I were not so young, at home, living together, watching films on the sofa, but we were, just being spoiled by DVD which had just kind of arrived so I think there's going to be an entire section talking about what that was like and films like this that arrived at the birth of DVD yeah yeah so uh without further ado should we drop the trailer
1: yeah let's get into it Who is he? I'm required to kill, so I kill. Tell me your name. My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius. (laughs) Commander of the armies of the north. Loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius. Father to a murdered son. Husband to a murdered wife. And I will have my vengeance. In this life or the next the crowd
0: and you'll win your freedom are you not entertained today i saw a slave become more powerful than the emperor of rome i will give them something they've never seen before
1: what we do in life
0: Goes in eternity. So that's what a trailer made in 2000 sounds like. So George, how did we get this film from Sir Ridley Scott? Was he knighted at the time of release, or was it because of this film that he got knighted?
1: Uh, now we, I have a one of my first uh making of books i i have i was given one i think by mum and dad maybe one christmas or birthday uh, of the making of gladiator and i've i've held on to it because i knew one day i would make a podcast about it and in that he is just credited as ridley scott so i don't think he was knighted until at least the mid noughties so uh, however this doesn't start with with Ridley Scott but from what I can see he was the the first director that was approached so it actually starts with screenwriter David Franzoni and he came up with the idea whilst he was on a motorcycle trip around the world so he was taking in Europe and he was seeing a lot of you know how those uh, you know Americans love that ancient history, you know, that the, the fact that they, they don't really have ruins in America because it's a relatively young country. So he was being inspired by seeing things like the Colosseum and, and other amazing buildings, uh, structures that have been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. And along the way, he was introduced to a book called Those About to Die by Daniel P. Mannix, which is all about the Roman games. So... He had this idea bubbling about. Years later, he uh, managed to get a, a three picture deal with DreamWorks and his first big film was uh, Amistad. So he's working on that and he pitches that idea to Spielberg and Spielberg's like, hey, you know, this sounds like a really exciting movie. Um Take a couple of producers from from DreamWorks, so uh, two producers, Walter Parks and Douglas Wick, uh, and and find me a director and and let's get this thing working. You know, Gladiator. Show me what
0: you got. Show yeah. me what
1: you got. The the producers, uh, say Walter Parks and Douglas Wick. From what I can gather, and again, this is from the making of book and stuff. I, you know, it doesn't sound like there was anyone else in the frame. I don't even know if Spielberg you know, I had considered it cause I know there's a, there's a lot of Spielberg films that he started out developing and then was just like, no, I'm too busy. Someone else can do it. You know, for example, um, I read or listened to a podcast recently that, uh, Interstellar was originally with Spielberg and he developed it for a while and before spun out into a completely different thing with Christopher Nolan. Yeah, however, Ridley Scott, they were like, you know, this guy is an amazing visualist. He's, he's the guy to take it to. But at that time, the script was a little bit rough. So um, they basically put in front of Ridley Scott this uh, painting uh, by, I'm going to butcher this pronunciation, uh, Jean-Léon Jérôme's, uh, and a painting from 1872 called Polis Verso, which means thumbs down in that it's it shows like a still from gladiator essentially it's it's the Colosseum. you've got this big muscly gladiator standing over somebody he's defeated and killed he's got the you know spiked trident it's the big sort of metal helmet and he's looking up to those in power who are giving him the thumbs up and thumbs down and ridley scott just took one look at it and was like oh my god i want to make this movie and uh, and Walter Potts is like, hang on, we haven't told you what the story's about. And he's like, I don't care. No, so I, 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 so I, I want to do it. Might need to switch the thumbs around, otherwise the audience will get confused. Yes, yeah, so you've read that as well. So apparently in olden, olden Greek and Roman times, thumbs up actually means sword up, kill him. And thumbs down means she's your sword. But they were like, well, that's too confusing for modern audience because thumbs up means good. Thumbs down means bad. So they've... Just gone for the modern iteration. It's but, yes.
0: much more prepubescent than that as well. The origins, because thumbs up is the su- short swords up yeah. is a sign of virility. Oh, but of that's, course, that's that's why no, but that's where it comes from. And so it's from Roman times. A thumbs up means I can still get hard. It, that, that's yeah. what it is because they were plagued by whatever, and so it went on to mean sword. And it's obviously it's it's it was so. Um, it was so of of the time that it was like, is your it actually meant yes? It's it's a positive thing to yeah. kill. But yeah, yeah. You can see where they're like, no, 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 no. we don't want thumbs up to mean kill someone. That that could that could have serious consequences.
1: What I'm sort of trying to work out, you know, Ridley Scott has made some huge films, some very some of the biggest films or some of the best and most loved films of all time. You know, Alien. Blade Runner, Blade Runner, Thelma and Louise. He did Thelma and Louise in 1991. Uh, this was obviously being developed in the late 90s. The only two film He did two films during the 90s apart from Thelma and Louise, and it was G.I. Jane and White Squall. And I think both, both of those are very low down on people. Well, never too. heard of White
0: Squall. Never heard of it.
1: White Squall is uh, something about sailing. Fishing? It's about a sailboat in a storm or something. But yeah, it, they're not. neither of them are very well loved. So it was almost like Ridley Scott was looking for a new hit and something to get his teeth into. And I think for him, uh, and especially with the advances in CGI, there was that whole thing of, well, everyone's trying to do all this sci-fi stuff with, with CGI, but no one's really gone back and done it in history. And I think that also, you know, recreating Rome appealed to Ridley Scott as well and when it t- when it comes to casting obviously i'll, I'll talk about some other casting choices with in coulda would should or later but in terms of winning russell crowe over apparently again the, the the script wasn't in a good place russell crowe says he managed to get his hands on a copy and he said it was shit but the the pitch that they gave him was it's it's 184 ad you're a roman general and you're going to be directed by ridley scott and he's like, I'm in. Yeah, that was it. He's like, I'm in. Um, Son so, of a bitch. Yeah, I'm in. So, yeah, it seems like there was a lot of big idea, big concept, um, but the script was continually being worked on and continued to be worked on.
0: Can I? Can we just talk a little bit about, uh, I mean, just before we move on, because I think there's a time to talk about the cast and the script. Let's talk about that approach from Ridley, because I remember this... Um. Uh, obviously, hoovering up the DVD about this rec- recreating the the opportunity no. that CGI, well, the, the opportunity that CGI that it offered was like we could recreate the Colosseum. We could send cameras to the Colosseum now and put them around three hundred and sixty, and we'll create the rest by computer. And it'll be amazing. And I think for the time, this is my point is, I think this is probably one of the best uses of CGI in 2000. And we could look at the other films that were out at the time. The Matrix went, wow, you know, mind-boggling, futuristic stuff and really made its mark there. And this went to the other way and said, yeah, yeah, that's fine. But look at what I've been able to do with this film. And it still stands up today, the CGI in this film.
1: Yeah, I mean, if you think about it, it's still, it's it's something that in a lot of films, I think that's the most impressive CGI, the stuff that you don't expect to see you know like there's um a really famous one for like wolf of wall street a lot of the the buildings and sets and stuff in that like you know his beach house and stuff is all being done in in uh cgi and yeah i think as i say i think this was one of the the first examples of them saying well yeah we can create anything in a computer any backdrop and it's and it's fantastic so i was like well we haven't really done it in i mean obviously there's a little bit of it in the brendan fraser mummy movie 1999 but i know they did a lot of it was uh miniatures and scanned in but yeah this and i think for the mummies it it was like the opening and sort of closing bits you know the bit of the, it was the, this the prologue t- type stuff
0: but this technology was seriously accelerating. Like you had Phantom Menace in, in 99 then and, and Matrix. Then you had this. And it all being made around the same time. And what I think stands out is that they do some, he does some very clever stuff with the CGI in that there's, there's one, there's the stuff where we've just got, um, which, which they don't do in the Phantom Menace where we've got the open shot, we've got the panorama of Rome. Yeah. Let's put in some birds. Let's put in some smoke to give depth and definition. And he does that a few times in this. And I think that it's, and there's another like a blue, a blue fadey when they first arrive, when they're going to Rome, yeah. you know, and well, it, like it's like it's like a dream above a hill. It's like a dream sequence. And you start to see. Well, well for really, me,
1: that's that, that's uh, very uh, naughty. It's that. Sort of, yeah, it's that Spielberg-y dark, you know, a bit like Minority Report. Let's put a filter over it. Let's go dark.
0: Blue filter. Mm. But I also see because it's, you know, it's, it's just after I don't want to jump too much th- but there are some elements in this film where Ridley does show. Oh, I can do! I can do TV adverts. I can do music videos. There's there's bits with uh, Russell Crowe floating along the ground and Elysium and all that. It's very he's showing his origin. But um, I just think that you, we, you gave CGI to a director like uh, George Lucas, and you give it to a director like Ridley Scott, and I think of the time, this trumps anything that George Lucas did with. And thinking... he had and he had more money than Ridley Scott is my point. This was one film, one chance and, it, and we've watched it again. It still stands up today. Didn't mm. didn't go too far.
1: Yeah, and I was I was thinking that when I was rewatching it the other night. So I rewatched it on on Blu-ray. I think it's the first time I've seen it in in high definition and it it looks fantastic. It still looks great and I think that's the one thing that you and I have I'm chatted about quite a bit about the Star Wars prequels. Is that yes, they were using cutting edge technology at the time and really giving it their all, but it's dated really badly. They're like, a lot of the backdrops are so obvious. Whereas in this, as you say, they're building them into environments like, you know, with the Colosseum, they only built the set the first two floors up. And it's not
0: overused it's not yeah. overused yes yeah. you're right so it's like it's the definitions in the background and they do this full 360 thing of the Colosseum, and and then when you get down to the nitty-gritty in on the on the sand of the Colosseum, it's all physical it's all physical yeah. stuff going on in front of you so whereas you look at you look at perfection
1: attack of the clones with which, which does have
0: a Colosseum type thing going a, a, on which apparently
1: which apparently was inspired by Gladiator, you can, and again, um, they've done some great miniature work and scanned that in, but it still feels—I don't know—maybe because it's an alien world, it still feels really rubbery.
0: Rubbery, that, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you both use the same word for Star Wars, rubbery.
1: Yeah. 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 But yeah, anyway, maybe we should spend some time. That is the perfect time to talk about first memories, but it is tied in, as you're saying in the opening, about. This being a huge thing on DVD, I think this is one of the first DVDs that came out as a special edition, i.e., two discs, because they had. I remember as you said,
0: this as the first DVD. I, I just do. It was the one that had.
1: Well, yeah, know I remember we, you talked about the first two you had was uh, Matrix and X Men, wasn't it? Well, X- Matrix ninety nine, X Men two thousand. My first DVD was Crouching Tiger. I think that was two thousand as well. Um, it was that.
0: It was. It was that yeah. time. So I just remember that. I remember the cutoff point was me going to university in 1999 and there I was with my copy of the Matrix VHS and then six months later I, 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 well probably less than that a few months later I bought the DVD The Matrix and I had both of them and there were a few films where you had both you know, oh, what do I do, oh, this is a better video but fucking hell it's D, it's not DVD and Lo and behold, very soon we moved on. But this this was a moment, you know. This was a moment where we were, and obviously, uh, listeners, as you know, you know, I'm I'm very much the host. George has always been into his film, has studied film. When DVD came along, I was just like this was made for you, you know, all the behind the scenes stuff, all the documentary stuff. I just knew that George would lap that up. But for this film, I lapped it up. I, I we both all shared the special edition. Say, so I was at uni, you were, and we were still seeing each other a lot. And we still, we were, but DVD for us was amazing. wasn't, it, yeah. it was just like, we'd been waiting for this medium to come along. Well,
1: and you and think was- and you think about it, like in terms of this is going back so far. This is pre-YouTube. So when you bought a film, it was you wanted to like hoover up all the 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 extra special features available because you're like, oh well, yeah, fuck it, I've splashed out twenty quid for this. You know, I want to see the the making of and how they brought it all together because usually you got like snippets of that on TV in the past, but it was a proper deep dive. And I think obviously the filmmakers. Are around that time as you're saying because it was a brand new film they were like we've got dvd we've got to get as much content as possible and yeah i say we uh, at that time because dvds were so new and hungry like there's more special there's more stuff to watch yes i've i've got to splash out for the the special edition because it's got all that other stuff i'm i'm gonna watch once and probably never again
0: (laughs) i do think sadly it's something that's been lost because I think, we had that we, I think we had this period of like 10 years from 2000 to 2010 where there was extras, some great stuff. The last time we dabbled with 2000, we covered uh, Mission Impossible 2 uh, when we covered the, first, the original Mission Impossible. We did them as check out those episodes if you've not listened to them. And we covered both of them. And on the this MI2, there's this brilliant sketch with Ben Stiller and Tom Cruise, the Tom Cruise and Tom Cruise done especially for the DVD and this would follow hmm. on and would you not agree it's something that we seem to have lost I mean what maybe, I would, maybe I... I'm not buying the special editions that have these on maybe there's a there's an entire way that they do it now that you get the bog standard uh, with, stuff and you've got to pay more for the extras
1: I know with with iTunes you can get the extras and that's that's one of their selling points and I know Disney Plus quite kindly of start when you select a film you can jump along and it will have some extras but it's it varies by film and it's not like a DVD that you have everything you might get a, a few trailers or a make you know, it's not an exhaustive list but they're doing it a li- and Disney are being a bit clever with it because i suppose they need to have more content but yeah, I agree. I think it's it's something that's, that's died out. But I think at the same time, that's why you know there's still a lot of film fans out there like us that do lap up physical media for those reasons. Like I, I, I uh, to jump back to our previous episode on top gun i had i sent charlie a uh, a recording of the menu screen that i've got on my top gun special edition because i was like remember when dvd and blu-ray used to have specially they'd obviously you know had a bit of budget and said to like a 3d computer studio right i want to i want to really slick with the camera whipping around and showing all these f f16s and stuff like that and it was amazing and with gladiator it's just it My special edition or commemorative DVD, I think it's like a 15-year anniversary, is very bog standard, but it's still, you know, there's loads of uh, features on it.
0: I think what's funny about this film is that we were so much in love with the medium that it just arrived. And I can remember, you know, years that would follow, like you you mentioned before, Matrix, X-Men, and this was when I was playing them, yes, listeners, on my uh, computer, It was the only DVD ROM I had. There was no DVD player. There was no PlayStation 2 at this stage. Yeah. And that's what, that was the killer thing about the PS2 when it arrived. I was watching these on my, uh, I can't remember, it was a compact, whatever. It was my Uni computer. That's what I was watching these films on. And the other one was South Park, Bigger, Longer Uncut. That was the other DVD I had. Um, And I'm talking about, you know, we were starting to build a collection. I'm looking around this room now. I think, George and I probably have about two hundred DVDs each, and I've got about fifty or sixty Blu-rays and a few four Ks now. Um, it, it's a dying medium, but it was the fact that when this arrived, we will, I would we come back from the pub, we'd put on Gladiator, and you'd watch and like, oh, just the opening scene. Just let's let's just put it on, and this would continue with uh, stuff like Lord of the Rings and Bad Boys <laughs> and a few other
1: action well, films of of that time. But like. The great thing about DVD, and again, this is really showing our age, is the fact that you could skip to a part in the film. You didn't have to fucking re- rewind or forward. You could go. That's
0: exactly what I was just going to say. Yeah. You could say, let's watch this scene, skip to a scene. That's why if you got a DVD and you had scene selection, theatrical trailer, and a couple of delete scenes, you're happy as Larry. Biographies. Like, wow, wow. Interactive where, menu. <laughs> and now we've got to the stage where, what? There's only the theatrical trailer. This isn't good, but I don't know. It's, it's, it comes, I mean, we can finish off this bit talking about a DVD, but this was the film in the moment. I And I can just remember watching this film and picking scenes and watching it and then feeling inside like, I'm not doing this film justice. I'm enjoying mm-hmm. watching 10 minutes of Gladiator, but I want to watch the whole thing. It's, it's dry, it's, you know, it's, should we keep watching it? It's it's It needs, it's a proper performance. It's a proper thing. It isn't just five minutes of quick action. The same, you could say for certain parts of Lord of the Rings, but this was, was the moment we lived in. It was, it was cool. And yeah. this was the film. It was this and the matrix. It was just like this medium has arrived and it opened up many possibilities and uh we go back to it today and we we can watch on streaming you can watch on blu-ray um there's probably going to be if there isn't already i didn't check there's probably a 4k version
1: uh i assume there will be i say i've I've just got the uh the blu-ray which i thought did look fantastic
0: how do we jump from production chat island I mean, do you want to talk about uh, well, I, much, there is more the, trivia? There is. Yeah. We need to talk about the no, cast uh, and the I, deaths and the
1: script. I think yeah, it is important to talk about how troubled this film was. So uh, I say, whilst it was. Uh, Dave franzoni's idea and he'd written the script ridley scott felt it w- the dialogue was too on the nose and hired uh, john logan who's worked on quite a few ridley scott films and and productions and would go on to do things like skyfall and the aviator so he did a, a rewrite and he added he wrote most of the first act and made the decision to kill off Maximus as family to increase his motivation then another writer William Nicholson came in um just even before they were just about to film because a lot of the actors were getting the scripts and they're like this doesn't make sense and he made uh, Manc- Maximus a more sensitive character brought in the the uh, role from uh, is it Demon Hansov of Juba developed the whole afterlife part of the film, so it made Maximus, I say, more, more sympathetic character. And even Russell Crowe has gone on record saying that he wrote a lot of his own dialogue. He said. Uh, I, 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 don't if I'm, I don't know if I'm going to do the Russell Crowe uh, impression, but he said, we had one American writer, one English writer, and, of course, a group of producers who were adding their idea, ideas, and then Ridley himself. Then on the occasion, Ridley would say, look, this is the structure for it. What are you going to say in that? And I'd be doing my own stuff as well. And, like, yeah, there'd be times like Ridley would be like, right, so you you're staring out into the battlefield and then you see this robin and russell goes like yeah but what the fuck am i supposed to say and that's and that goes back to one of my issues about really scott he's a fantastic visualist but sometimes the story gets gets a little bit lost and apparently there's uh, a book that covers screenplays and apparently says though dozens of the versions of the script for Gladiator were written the original 130 page draft from 1997 is different in almost every detail from the finished movie (laughs) so I mean I think I think the character uh, was a wrestler at the start so basically it's weaving in some historical facts about Marcus Aurelius and about Commodus, the fact that they're sort of very different leadership styles, the fact that Commodus was all about Rome was going to shit, but he was like, oh, let's distract people by putting the games on. And he was just. And he cause...
0: was the, the emperor, the fall of the Roman Empire. Yes. Was, yeah, yeah. So yeah. he's kind of seen
1: as the reason. And and obviously they've woven in. So apparently uh, Marcus Aurelius uh, died on on uh, whilst out in you know he was always out on uh, the battlefield trying to sort things out, and he died out in the field of the plague. But because apparently Commodus uh, r- rushed back to Rome so quickly after his death, there was rumours that it was a bit suspicious. But obviously they've embellished it. Uh, in plot. And even the the character of Maximus, whilst I think when I was younger thinking, oh, it's a bit far fetched that he, the emperor would hand over Rome to a, a general. There's actually v- various characters in history that have worked up from, you know, being a humble sort of servant to a general to actually becoming, the, you know, there's so many emperors and, and rulers throughout sort of Roman Genghis history. Genghis
0: Khan. Genghis Khan was a general,
1: I think. Yeah, so, and Commodus was actually killed by, not a a gladiator, but he was killed by a wrestler. So, yeah, there's lots of different strands they've pulled in to the story, but it seems like it was even, I I say, on set, they were rewriting dialogue and challenging dialogue and and stuff like that. And there was lots
0: of uh, ad-libbing. Because that apparently, and this is Charlie trivia, but uh, no, I mean I hoovered up that, that DVD. But the the kitchen that um, that Maximus describes with herbs and stuff is Russell Crowe's kitchen in Australia. He was ad-libbing, and the other bit is with the whole "Am I Not Merciful?" With that, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's totally hilarious. ad-libbing. That's why Connie Lels was terrified by well, that- by and in Phoenix going full full nutter.
1: Well, apparently, Connie. I was just reading uh, today. Connie Nielsen's uh, like a massive history buff.
0: Yeah, and they, she was big on the Romans. So she
1: she had jewelry and stuff. But but they um, were giving her dialogue, and she was like, they wouldn't say like. There's apparently there was like a, a line of dialogue that said something like. We don't want Rome to t- turn into a police state, and they're like police state. That's not going to be. And oh, uh, such and such uh, belongs in a museum. It's like Romans wouldn't have had museums.
0: It was probably useful to have her around.
1: Yeah, it sounds like uh, she was uh, she was very useful. But yeah, let's let's get into the casting. So one of I think this was the first time. Well. Obviously, he one of his earliest roles was in Parenthood, but I think it's one of the first times that we saw the proper actor. That's Joaquin Phoenix, and it's a, an amazing—you know—the f- the first of wow. many amazing wow. performances.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hello, um, I'm here. I'm going to be here for a while.
1: And he's so sinister. He's a little bit camp. He's he's very incestuous. Yeah, he's brilliant. He's a, v- a very brilliant villain, and I remember being very impressed watching it first time i mean obviously as you say it's a a career defining performance for for russell Crowe. it's a you know you won an oscar for it but i think obviously he burst onto the scene with um la confidential and i think this is the the film he did afterwards but really scott was keen to to give it that i don't know to round it out with some key classic british actors so yeah you've got Derek Jacobi, you've got Richard Harris, and the amazing Oliver Reed, uh, amongst you know My s- God, I is. mean,
0: the fact that they're setting this up, you know, that you've got dying Maximus, you know, the the Richard Harris delivering what would be his last performance, well, uh, last what, performance I, of, of a Caesar. It's so um, I don't know, so so momentous.
1: I don't know if it's if it's good dialogue or it's just been delivered by pure thespians because everything that richard harris delivers it has so much pathos to it and so much gravitas it's him,
0: though it's what? him it's oliver reed it's Derek Jacobi. these characters these actors are the top of the game i mean yeah. they will they will they will live on in infamy as those three actors would be you know Derek i mean actually still kicking about
1: yeah, I mean, and I think, obviously, yeah, we we would lose Richard Harris a, a few years later. I think it was like only two... A year, a year later. Two, two, 2002, two later. well, 2002,
0: yeah, so two yeah. years later.
1: But yeah, I think, obviously, yeah, Oliver Reed was... I haven't seen many Oliver Reed films. I mean, he's it's more of his sort of off-screen... Antics that he's more renowned for. <laughs> I
0: just uh, want to go on the beers with him.
1: <laughs> yeah, and no, it's, it's. I mean, it's such a brilliant performance. Again, he's devouring that dialogue. You thrust your sword in a man, the crowd would love you forever.
0: Yeah, he could like, be describing anything. He could be describing a football match, a cricket game, a netball, a big netball game, uh, badminton game, whatever it is. I, I don't want to, you no, know, But I mean, the way he talks about the crowd and. I, I just I, I want to see him be a gladiator. And am I not right in thinking that we would have seen that had he not?
1: Yeah, to- yeah. I read I read that, and I couldn't find much other much other source to it. I think it was in the IMDb trivia, and I think it's a really interesting. Could have, would have, should have. That most people know Oliver Reed died during filming, and they said that they had. Uh, most of his scenes already filmed, but then they had to do some rewrites. But yeah, there's some sort of uh, rumor online that originally Maximus would have had to fight Proximo, Oliver Reed's character, um, but Commodus had pitted him as like as a, almost like a final boss before he got to to Commodus because you kind of, you see obviously you see the scene- I
0: believe it. Should I tell you why that, the reason I believe it is because he's built up so much before. And you can tell, obviously, you know, she he passed away, and there's that thing where the Praetorian storm his house, and it's obviously a double. Yeah. You know that that that's very it's,
1: it's very well done. It's there's very, very well little done. of it. Yeah. And they reuse
0: they reuse the audio so cleverly because then they show his face. Yeah. And he says, "Shadows and dust." Yeah. And then then he gets stabbed, and it's it's so cleverly done. Like um, Ridley Scott should do more of that sort of stuff. No, no, I just think that whole scene with the gladiator uh, yeah, at the end, t- is it Tigris or whatever he's called, the whole thing with the tigers? Well, that's... Uh, um... We were about to die. That would have made sense had that been Proximo, you yeah. know? It, w- it would have been... And it, the thing, the, the, the final point I want to make about that, the tigers would have made more sense because it would have been Claudius saying, you have to fight your mentor, Proximo. Yeah. If you want to fight me and I'm putting tigers in this, so you both can, you're both fucked. You know, yeah. that's what I, I read into it. So, I mean, it's still well, a great fight,
1: but it would have made more sense. with You do, with you do see him wearing the, I don't know if it's more of like just his character, you see him wearing armor when they've entered Rome. So he's got his, gla- he's still got his gladiator armor. So yeah, it does make you think a, a, a what if it's a real shame that we obviously lost uh, Oliver Reed, because it, you know it's, it, it's a, such a reminder of how good an actor he was. and obviously had he been alive, he, the amount of roles work he would have got off the back of it.
0: I, I was thinking the same thing. I was like, why does he not get more work like because um, he did. Just, yeah, no, no I mean and I, I was just like, why no I'm, what I meant was like five years previous to this why hadn't we seen yeah. him why hadn't we seen him in a bond film? Why hadn't he turned up in other stuff? what got him out onto this film? Because that's some pretty smart casting.
1: Well, apparently he didn't want to do it. He was just like, oh... And I I think that was a... He he was his own worst enemy, that he was really stubborn and drunk a lot of the time and he refused to like audition for stuff so he's like oh you know if they, they want me they'll cast me sort of type thing and I think I was reading an interview a clip from Michael Winner and my, he was working with Michael Winner when he got the audition and he's like oh, I don't know if I can be bothered with this you know it's another well, it was a swords and sandals movie and Michael Winner was like you're going to do it you're going to do the audition and you bloody well you know pull your, pull your finger out your ass sort of type thing um, and I think that was yeah i i just don't think because he was such a legendary hellraiser hell i don't think he was a lot of people wanted to work with him even though he could you could get a great performance out of him i think he was so unpredictable yeah he was just a, too much of a liability um but just to go you know you, you mentioned about him being you know in a, a bond villain or in a in a bond but a long time ago i think his he was a candidate for Bond himself after I think as a replacement for Connery, and in his. Remember
0: you, men- you mentioning that when we were doing this on our Bond special, when yeah. they were before they looked at Lazenby, that he was considered um, so dashing, just not not tall enough. But um, I just love him in this film. I just I, I just I can remember because going back to our chat about watching this on DVD, there were certain bits you would cut to, you know, like there were certain. And I don't, I don't think they were that ahead of the game but like you'd skip schemes, you'd skip certain scenes to go, oh, I want to see the other battle and then we'll go to bed We just go back from the pub. And um, I'd never skip his scenes. It was just like when he's talking to, I don't know, I guess it shows how far Russell Crowe's career has gone in the fact that he's the young guy in this. And, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think it'll probably come up in coulda, woulda, shoulda, that another actor who had played this role before was offered it and you could totally imagine it, but this is Russell Crowe on the scene. Uh, I want to say he's in his 30s. Drinking beers and starting fights, fights, fighting around
1: the world. Speaking
0: of Russell Crowe, speaking of Oliver Reed, apparently, and this is once again probably um, Reddit or IMDB trivia, but apparently Oliver Reed, they did not get on. No, no. Oliver Reed asked him for a fight. (laughs) I love it. It's like, I, I get the feeling that Russell Crowe, took over the mantle from Oliver Reed it's like oh you that's how you live that's what I'm like I think it was like two guys
1: you know yeah I think it was a bit of a weird dynamic because obviously Richard Harris and Oliver Reed went way back so they they were mates and Richard Harris and Russell Crowe became very gone very well yeah yeah yeah, apparently Oliver Reed died on on the floor of a pub after challenging some sailors in Malta to a drinking contest. So Love that was it. on on one of his days off. But yeah, it's going to go down, go down in flames. Good. But yeah, as you say, it's it's a, a a fitting final performance.
0: As for the movie, I don't know if you have you got anything else you want to talk about in terms of cast?
1: Yeah, I mean, what what uh, what do you want to talk about movie wise? from the very opening uh, you you almost kind of forget about the whole the the barbarian hordes and stuff they're fighting germania
0: and yeah so yeah there's there's i I guess i think for simplicity's sake i say this this film is in two is it hits you in two ways it's epic the battles are epic and we had not had Films like this, we'd spend the 90s, well, we hadn't, anyway, we hadn't been watching period dramas or period dramas were full of lovey-dovey, Pride and Prejudice, Fort high Saga, rubbish. We hadn't had a Spartacus. This was, that was, what, 70s and 80s. We hadn't had that or Ben-Hur, whatever you want to call it. This was our first foray for our generation into do you remember the Romans? What have they ever done for us? And so there's the epic scale of that. And you see things in the, this first opening scene, which is amazing, with all of the fire arrows and the choo-choo, choo-choo, choo And then the Praetorians the, the, the on their horses. So on one side, this film is epic and it delivers it act one, act two, act three, almost to the minute, you know, like here's act yeah. one, here's act two, here's act three. But um, something that hit me much more this first time, uh, sorry, this most recent time, was the emotion. You can't, wa- and I think it's Mr. Hans Zimmer with the music, but you can't watch this film, especially since having children, that this, the, whole, the whole story of Maximus' character doesn't resonate a bit harder. But I can remember this film being very moving when I was didn't care about anybody about myself back in yeah. 2000 and now it has I cared about it then and I just care about it more now it's really moving
1: yeah no I should say I think one of the the first big appearances of or the first sort of breakthrough scores for, for Hans Zimmer and you know something that we joke about with a lot of composers you know be, be reusing stuff elsewhere so I think there's we can we can play them at some point but there's very Before
0: they made their mark they were selling out to a lot of folk The in.
1: <laughs> well yeah well no they're all you know we've we've joked about michael Kamen, we've joked about um silvestri alan silvestri uh even you know john williams is guilty of re- uh, you know james horner they're all guilty of reusing bits danny elfman but They've yeah got stuff
0: they like <laughs> uh, and hans
1: zimmers gladiator the theme and Ca- pirates of the caribbean are very close together the whole operatic vocal stuff that in this is really emotional and as you say really sells those those afterlife scenes or you know where he's you know reaching out to his family but that's something that for me like it's one of the few negatives it's yes it's very emotional but it became such a sort of naughties trope of that that kind of You know, it's it's done similarly in in his brother's, uh, you know, in in Tony Scott's uh, Man on Fire, and yeah, that the whole Hans Zimmer bombastic operatic sound, and and even um, Mission Impossible. It's the same thing with Mission Impossible too. It's it's that sort of vocal (sighs) Um, slow mo. Stubs, so, um, yeah, um, but so yeah, it became very much a a uh staple. But it's you know it's done so well here.
0: I just like to think that it was like kids in the sweet shop. It's, that's how I put like uh, Matrix. You could put them all on the same boat, like Star Wars, Matrix, Mission Impossible Two, in this film. It's like, okay, so we've got this cool technology. You can use whatever soundtrack you like and you can do loads of slow-mo. You can cut it all together, no reshoots, and you can just make stuff appear with computers. And I think it's like you apply it to all of those directors. It's sort of kids in the sweet shop. And mm. maybe, uh, am I getting the timing right? with Minority Report being about the same sort of time? That would have been Spielberg's two, time in the years sweet later. Shop. Yeah. Okay, so you get, you know, but you hear what I mean? It's like, It's interesting to see how these directors reacted to what they had at their fingertips. And that's why I think full credit to Saridas for the masterpiece, the epic masterpiece that is this film, because... I don't know. I always. It's almost like a film we could have brought Dad on for because he loves this film. Because <laughs> I did say to Dad the other day, I was like, "No, no, I'm, I'm recording. We're recording, and we're going to be doing Gladiator." I was almost like, "We should probably have you on because it was a big film for him too. Because he would have lived through Spartacus and everything." And he's like, "No, it's a great film.
1: You know, it's." Um... No, I remember going to see it with him, and uh, I remember saying, "Yeah, he'd grown up." with a lot of and that was the thing we haven't really touched on the whole swords and sandals well you you touched on it earlier the Spoducous whole swords and, ben, uh, but the whole swords and sandals genre had died out and yeah so much so that it became a, a, you know one of the best jokes in airplane about Joey, do you like movies about gladiators? <laughs> um, because they were so, like, camp and overblown. And that's it. But I think by the 80s, there was there was nothing. And obviously, the 80s had a bit more of a a fantasy element. You know, Excalibur and Legend. You know, Ridley Scott, um, Conan. Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise. And, and, and all those things. So, yeah, this was sort of the, the first sort of throwback to it. And I remember Dad saying, oh, it's like... Um, There's a big 60s film, the 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 fall of the Roman Empire, all about that same same time period, Um, and ironically, I think Richard Harris was originally cast in that film and dropped out. Uh, I think he was due to play Commodus. Yeah, I remember Dad saying, "Oh, it's like Fall of the Roman Empire, but with loads more action in." (laughs) But you know, he wasn't complaining because it was so well done, and and it's funny that this film, as you're saying, you know. Ridley Scott's done it you know so well but it feels like this film is lightning in a bottle because despite all the rewrites production challenges one of your you know key cast members dying during production it's an amazing film that is that Ridley Scott himself has struggled to recapture so he would obviously go on to do um was it kingdom of heaven with with uh boring what's his face uh orlando bloom and he also and he still, he's
0: nobody's turned robin hood with russell crowe and i think that had
1: Hans zimmer on the music they were like let's do it again well that's we it I, fail. and that was the whole hype of it's the it's the guys that did they've got the I gang back together haven't seen it, haven't oh, seen it it's because just, the
0: reviews because the reviews i haven't it,
1: seen it it's just dull and and bloated but then this you know this film is so influential because i say it was a dead genre but then within a few years later you get troy Gods and kings alexander yeah. king arthur uh, and obviously the very camp homoerotic 300
0: Oh, oh, can we superimpose more abs? (laughs) More (laughs) slow-mo. More Uh, glistening Which,
1: again, goes goes back to the whole camp and, you know, ridiculousness of the original sort of... uh...
0: Which is what Ridley was trying to avoid. He said, I don't want to see anybody sitting around eating grapes or drinking from goblets. I want to make it more real. I don't know what else there is to say other than going back for a rewatch. The we, I mentioned it earlier, the set pieces all stand up at one, at two, at three. Mm-hmm. They're brilliant. The battles are brilliant and f- nice use of physical, uh, physical with some CGI. But CGI background in this
1: yeah yeah and i think the thing i forget about is that yes you've got all this uh action you've got this revenge story but there's also yeah i say there's 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 so much work being done on the script but there's the the politics throughout about the whole power play for rome and i forget how, the mob yeah and i no but and i forget how that's woven in and it's not over it's not too overbearing it's there and it's all about well who's going to take over and Give it back to the Senate and all that scheming and stuff. Which was going
0: on. There were snakes. Yeah. Adders being put in beds, all that stuff that you see in the act. It's obviously, it's all, uh, you know squashed into this last act where it's like some people are poisoned some people got snakes some people stabbed um but this was going on for years for decades yeah. like this is how uh ro- I mean what you see going on in in Westminster like, oh they're, they're scoundrels it's horrible what they do to each other this is how it was done in Rome it was like poison stabbed killed mm-hmm. you know snake in the bed um drowned well just killed the children at birth whatever it was this 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 was it um But it's interesting that, as you say, I think the most interesting thing about this film was in 2000, you get this film, you get so many things arriving and departing. You get Richard Harris and... uh, Oliver Reed at the end. Then you got Connie Nelson. I think she was in Devil's Advocate and maybe another film. She didn't go on to maybe have a big but no, she was she, hot for a while. Cropped,
1: she's cropped up in uh, Wonder Woman. She's I was going to
0: say, was she in Wonder Woman? That's yeah. the other thing. I wasn't sure if it was her. Is she Australian?
1: She's, no, I thought she was Australian or something, but she's Danish.
0: Okay. Um, anyway, she's hot and she's a very good actress and she's probably... Should have had more films as a
1: result. Agreed, agreed. Um,
0: so I don't know what else there is to say. I think we've what, given what? Mr. Zim Zimmer his due, but there's going to be some kuda wooda or I guess. Is there anything else you want to say before we jump on onto that?
1: Well, no, just just to quickly jump back to the uh, the whole sort of politics and scheming thing. I read this uh, very apt uh, comparison for the the 20 year uh, anniversary from the Guardian, and they said. It said, uh, Now Gladiator is ancient history itself, but in some ways its story is more relevant now than it was then. An undeserving despot who hijacks a mighty empire and betrays its principles, who sidelines the wise politicians and distracts the citizens from his corruption with violent populist spectacle. You
0: so, can't make this shit up. You can't make this shit up. But I, uh, what was the other thing I read? Um... Just on that note, I'm just trying to, yeah, it's it's a crazy how when they're talking about the mob, just give the people what they want. Just give the people what they don't don't know that they need. Yeah. Well, um,
1: There's there's a line from Derek Jacoby and I can't remember what it is, but I remember like just before he said it, I said the line for him because I remember it was so ingrained in my brain. It was like, you'll give them blood, you'll give them violence and they'll love him for
0: it. I think that says so much about I, I watched this this DVD so much and we would go on to watch many other DVDs but I think when this DVD came out you didn't have you maybe had a D, you'd got your hands on a DVD player maybe you are like me it was your computer this was one of the first ones you had and so you watched it a lot you watched all of the stuff on it and you watched the scenes again and so yeah, this is this is as quotable to us probably as Star Wars. like, um sorry, the, the, there are two things that we have to mention because this is retro Ramble, the tie-in with Universal Soldier, our friend,
1: what's he called? Oh, Ralph! you've got Ralph Muller, Ralph
0: Muller, Ralph Muller, and you've got the and most, you... most um lines that we will see from dear Ralph, such a such a unit.
1: Uh, like and he you, can't be stopped by conventional arrows. Yeah, he has to be <laughs> stabbed multiple times and shot with several arrows. Yeah, he's one of the the gladiators, but also um, the the tiger guy, tiger mask. That is Sven Ole Thorson, uh, Arnie's mate, who you know crops up in loads of Running Man and the Running
0: yeah. Man. Well, he's, the, he's he's the guy that gets the stick
1: around in Predator.
0: Now we haven't really Delved into it a lot um, I just want to bring this up Because George and I Obviously have watched This film in preparation For this episode George watched this Before me And gave me the heads And was like The speech yeah, Sorry the script The script is so good but he did raise something with me. It's like, but the incest track. And I was like,
1: yeah, I, I just
0: I just don't think it's that on the nose. I just don't think it's anything worth commenting on. I hadn't seen this film. I think both of us, we hadn't watched this film for about five years at least. And I watched this film and it, it in the third act, he's like, you will love me and you will give me a child. You, you I always child. thought... It, I always thought it was really subtle it was like he really has a thing for his sister but but no I'd forgotten or I'd misremembered because it's like you will love me and you will give me a child it's like um,
1: yeah no I, I was the exact same thing I was like I don't remember it being this and such and such wow wow he's gone full 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 sister um, I, and I thought that like I was thinking oh it's it's obviously uh, you know it's very Game of Thrones-esque but then I, I did a quick search and, and the first game of thrones book was published in 1996 so it might not have inspired game of thrones but
0: let's know. just say they're both inspired by the time when this sort of crazy shit was going on
1: it was fine film. fine to sleep with your cousin or your sister
0: rape pillage murder it was it was the style of the time
1: pure blood charlie pure blood
0: Um, so I think without further ado, let's release Jeff and Celine. Your scientists were so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. Could or would have should it is where George enlightens us into the actors who were considered for the roles contact, but didn't actually take the part. So who we got?
1: So you, I, I I can gather from your, your comment earlier that you were aware of this one because you... Another uh, Australian. You thinly alluded to it. And it makes sense because if you think Braveheart, about... yeah. Yeah, what had happened... Like, closest comparison to this film in that sort of time frame was for a big historical bloody epic was Braveheart. And apparently Mel Gibson was offered the lead role and turned it down because at 43, he felt he was too old. Let's get another grumpy, unpredictable Australian. Do
0: you know anybody else who can start a fight? I'd love to think they knew each other, but I don't. I don't think they did. Was Was anybody
1: else considered? Well, there's a few others I've I've seen, and again, I th- I think it's IMDb. I, I, I'm I I'm detecting. Well, one of them I think is bullshit because one of them they're saying's Hugh Hugh Jackman, but he hadn't really. He was an unknown before he got picked for X Men, which was two thousand. So.
0: X-Men I, was his first thing, which was... The, he would have been making X-Men when this film was
1: being the, made. Yeah, so that, that's what I'm thinking. I, so that's why I, I call bullshit and that. But the other one, which is a bit left field, but it makes sense because Maximus is the Spaniard, was... Uh, yeah, and, and, uh, Bandera. Banderas.
0: That would have been... He could have totally done it. Well, I'm I, sorry, I'm just going to go out there. He could have totally done it, yeah.
1: I did read... And I'm sure I've read this before, that Russell Crowe did suggest to Ridley, Ridley Scott, he's like, well, he's, he's a Spaniard, so maybe I should play him with a Spanish accent. <laughs> Ridley Scott was like, please don't. <laughs> please don't even attempt that.
0: It's his, his Australian does creep through, but not not as much as like let some other actors. Um, I mean, let, let's say, I mean, you've got Sean Connery in The, Untouch, in the Untouchables yeah. <laughs> doing Irish. And then you've got, um, no, he's not bad.
1: I don't know if we haven't given enough respect to Russell Crowe. Yes, he's a little bit egotistical. He is a, lo- you know, he, he is a bit of a. liar. Log- this,
0: this and La Confidential are amazing films because yeah. of him.
1: Yeah, i don't go that far. Well, that's it. It's again, it's it's that delivery of, and even the some of the dialogue he was just like, I'm not saying that, and like even the sort of you know, what we do now echoes in eternity. He's like, oh, that sounds like bollocks, and they're like, just say the fucking line, Russell, <laughs> and he sells it.
0: But he's very softly spoken. Do you not find that? Like, it works for him in certain, uh, I think in, uh, you know, Beautiful Mind, uh, an Ellie In Ellie he doesn't say lots He's just, he's the muscle. Yeah. There's, the, there's bits in this where he talks and it's like, uh, the words can't kind of like liquid. Like he, he talks very, he's got a very. He's, he's talking about
1: the, the herbs in his, in his garden and something. I'm
0: obsessed about that scene. I'm just jealous. I just like an outdoor kitchen like like mm. he clearly has in Australia. What? I just don't want to start as many fights to get it. You know, I'm just just not wanting to go there.
1: Starting fights and drinking beers, fighting around the world. We, um... do,
0: we do love Russell Crowe. And you should, in more modern times, uh, we would both agree that uh, is it the nice guys? It's probably yes. the closest closest thing you will get to buddy comedy, buddy film comedy in the last decade. Oh so yeah, ch- definitely check, check out. out
1: check out the Nice Guys if you haven't seen that. Uh, cool. To link back to Russell Crowe reminiscing on his family life in you know but b- back in Spain, um, I'm going to use <laughs> a new short-lived uh, feature to Retro Ramble, which is called. I could pretend to be your wife. <laughs> and it's just a bit of trivia that uh, the lady that plays Maximus's uh, wife in, in the flashbacks or what, what wait, have you.
0: Wait, wait, wait. I've seen her before and I know I've seen her before. It's not Tina Turner. Not, um...
1: She's she's called uh, Giannina Facio, uh, F- so uh, she's the wife of Maximus but would go on to marry Ridley Scott in 2015 so she's actually now Ridley Scott as far as I know they're still together Ridley Scott's wife so
0: wow I, it only I... took him 14 years to get her number fair, <laughs> fair <Yeah>. play hey buddy <laughs> uh,
1: we'll, uh, will you go out with this
0: like <laughs> I will will go back and live where I'm from which is like actually <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's crackers man like I'm a uh, sir now so uh, you know, I'll take it a jar that's exactly how Ridley Scott talks <laughs> now I do like listening to interviews with Sir Ridley Scott it when still he creeps here, through it's it still creeps through and, and what I love is the fact is how gung-ho he is he's like uh he, he, I think I can't remember what you. I think he was talking about that uh, that last Alien film that he made. Let's not talk about that right now. But his approach to it was, I'm gonna do it. I've got the rights to do it, and if you don't like it, you can sort it out in the editing room, and I'm out of here. That was kind of where he was with that. Well, it anthology. What's it called? That one. It's not anthology.
1: Uh, Covenant.
0: Yeah, that one. He was like, "This is what I'm shooting. This is what I'm giving you. You wanna? You, oh, you're not you, happy with the final cut? Yeah, you go make it into something else. You pay me what I want." And and he was like that. He was like, "I've done my work. It's my artistic product. You pay me what I want, and then you can do what you want with it." He
1: keeps threatening to to unleash another alien film on us, but it, yeah, apparently he's still working on the Gladiator two. Fuck knows what that's going to be about there was wow. a there was a script in the sort of mid uh about i think it was written by this uh, songwriter Nick Cave about Maximus fighting his way through the afterlife uh, i don't know why because it'd it, be true
0: that'd be quite a dreamy music video inspired ridley's perfect for that
1: but it's it's sort of almost like well he's he's you know he's, he's accomplished his mission he's got his revenge why does he need to get back into reality but yeah apparently they're working up and then there was another script about um zombies Zombies, Zombies
0: in the afterlife.
1: Do it. Um, Fucking do it. Gladiator and space. No, I've just thrown that in there. <laughs> no um, zombie gladiators. He's he's, trans, he's transported through time for reasons.
0: No, uh, but like all of the fallen gladiators, he has to kill all of them in term in to get to his family in Elysium. He first has to go back to
1: Colosseum and kill all of the zombie gladiators who've, who've died. And shut up. If you don't do it will. And some of them are robots for reasons. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think we've we've From said. the
0: sounds of things we may have exhausted the The well of retro ramble on this. All I can say is that it was an absolute pleasure, not just to speak to you again, dear film, uh, but no, to go back to this film. And I watched this in two sittings, I watched this in the evening and I didn't realise how long it was. And then I on my lunch hour, I just stuck it on the telly because I had it, I've got it on both DVD (laughs) Blu-ray and it's on streaming. And there I am, two, two thirty in the afternoon, welling up. That's just I, not that's just not real. You know, welling up about a freaking Naughty's film about swords and sandals, and I'm getting emotional. I'm just like, it's just so well produced. It's just great.
1: Um, can I can i shock you? You're not so similar, <laughs> you and I. <laughs> I did the exact same thing. I watched about two hours the other night and I was like, oh, I'm really tired. And I've had a few glasses of wine. I watched the last 40 minutes uh, at uh, Leia and I ended up watching it on my lunch break yesterday and doing the same thing of like,
0: "Listen, crime is giving Rome back to the people. Oh my God. Doesn't cry I'm a man So yeah That's why I
1: was Hands going through the wheat His hands going through the wheat He's going
0: home Go to them Go to them He's going to Um, Ridley Scott's wife Yeah I mean just go to her Go to her Um, Yeah I mean that's another podcast episode in itself What a a romantic story Uh, No it's been a pleasure to go back to A great epic classic film such as this I don't know how we can top it, so we're not even going to try. We're probably going to go back to some I don't know,
1: back in the time machine to something in the eighties, maybe
0: something in the eighties. maybe. we've we've gone all the way back to two thousand. We've got nosebleeds, but it's been good. And to be honest, ladies and gentlemen, that decade is here to stay. We are twenty twenty two, still twenty years ago. It's a long time. We can mm-hmm. retroamble back there. Um, we just can't go back to anything that recent. So, but two thousand to 2010 I'd say it's fair game
1: however if you do want to hear recent stuff then why not join our Patreon channel where Charlie and I also get the chance as well as reviewing stuff that slipped us by first time around so like cult classics like uh, The Warriors Roadhouse Roadhouse. We did Roadhouse,
0: and then we've done lots of recent rambles on on the Spider Man, on No Time to Die, on Matrix, whatever we're calling it, the one that was out at mm-hmm. Christmas, uh, Resurrections. There we go. New began with the North. Ah, they're trying to copy our alliteration. But no, um, up and coming, we have got a completely spoilerific spoiler special on top gun maverick and i know that there are
1: by by the time you're listening to this oh
0: it's already probably coming in your ears no i I mentioned that on this podcast because i think there are a few of our monthly episode Mm -hmm. listeners that would like to listen to that and i'm sorry the new stuff it's on our patreon so it's there check it out
1: Um, Subscriptions start from only a couple of, well, three pounds, I think it is, the price of an overpriced coffee or an underpriced beer.
0: Or return ticket on a train that's been cancelled. So, um... Topical. I don't know what else there is to say apart from... Are are you not entertained? No, um, for this episode, uh, this has been a Retro Ramble production. I am and have been Charlie McGee.
1: I'm George McGee. And we
0: will see you next time.
1: Thank you for listening. Bye-bye.
0: Bye-bye. Oh, my God. It's Russell Crowe. Oh, my God. It's Russell Crowe. Oh, my God. Why don't you mind your own business, you (laughs) scrouder?
1: Making movies, making songs, and fighting around the world Dude, why is this guy always beating everybody up? What a glorious day to spend away, fighting around the world